What's good, everybody? Welcome back to a very special episode of Black Men Unlearning. I'm your co-host, Edwin Lee. And I'm your co-host, Kyle Brooks. And Kyle, today is a special day, but it's not an anniversary. Uh, Chris was talking about Tony, Tony, Tony earlier, and that just seamlessly came in. Wow. Um, Yeah, so we have a guest for the first time in BMU history. Yeah, milestones, baby. I mean, you know, we kind of told y'all we was going to do this a few months ago on our actual anniversary episode. But uh, I would like to introduce uh, to our listening audience, our good friend, Dr. Christopher Travers. Chris, what's happening, man? Man, I, I appreciate the the Dr. Christopher Travers, man. It seems so formal. Thank you. Thank you. For I mean, that. you we got to do the formal <laughs> thing to introduce you, like just to make sure folks know, you know, we have an illustrious guest. Oh, man. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Like we we got to We got to set the table. Right. I appreciate that, man. I, I appreciate it. Uh, now, humbled, humbled uh, by the invitation, excited to be present, uh, honored to be the first, you know, hopefully. um you know, this conversation can just be a, the beginning of a many dope invited guest conversations. So just super excited to be present. For sure. Yeah, man. So, uh, Chris, why don't you, uh, if you will, just tell the audience a little bit about yourself, you know, the general icebreaker questions. Where are you from? What's your sign? Wow. Wow. <laughs> you don't have to share your I sign. Like, I feel like I'm like a, like a dating show. I mean, let me, yeah. uh, <laughs> Yeah, no. So uh, as mentioned, Christopher Travers, a uh, couple nicknames. Some folks call me CT. Some some folks call me Fats. If you haven't already started calling me that, don't don't start calling me that now. Uh, it's not reserved for you. But uh, yeah, my, my pronouns are he, him, his. I am uh, an educator, a, a scholar, a writer, a curator of sorts, um, uh, son, uncle to four extraordinary nieces, brother, friend and companion in a lot of ways. Originally, I'm from and still living in Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, I spent the first like 26 years of my life in Baltimore, and then I moved to Columbus to pursue my PhD at the Ohio State University. And that is where I met the good Dr. Edwin Lee. And then uh, I finished up my program and Went to North Carolina to teach at NC State and then came back to Columbus to pursue ministry full time. And that is where I actually met uh, Dr. Kyle Brooks. Fun story about our, our our friendship, which I'm sure we'll probably get into in this, in this <laughs> conversation. Uh, but yeah, I currently work at the University of Maryland College Park as a, a visiting clinical assistant professor in student affairs. And in addition to, to all of that stuff, I'm also the founder and CEO of the Communion Collective. Uh, which is uh, a group of artists committed to infusing the essence of communion within faith-based spaces, educational practices, and, and various gatherings. And I think consistent with the, the spirit of this, this podcast space, I also started a really dope virtual group called Communion for Black Men. And we are now, uh, we've been a community for two years now, and essentially the group is uh, designed for, for Black men, all Black men to come in and really wrestle with, with heteronormativity and foreground and vulnerability and, and love and relationships to just really wrestle with some hard topics about being men, particularly within the U.S. Western context. So that's that's me. That was such a good introduction, man. Like I found myself like listening to you and being like, oh, man, I'm so proud of my my dude right now. Like, look, look at these. The, we, 
I'm in the communion collective. Like we go to communion for black men. We attend on a regular basis, but like the description just felt real official. Like you've been practicing that. I mean, it's not my first time speaking somewhere, man. So okay. I, 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 listen, I got some reps. I got my some reps. bad. Let me not. <laughs> and then you get like more and more succinct over time, man. The first couple of ones are a little raggedy, but I've 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 gotten better with it. That's nice. I can see, I can see the reps are working, bro. <laughs> it's uh Mm, you know, I yeah, I want to I want to save our <laughs> the story of our sort of meeting and eventual uh, development of friendship for <laughs> a little later, because uh, that's a that's a that's a fun story, but also like I think a great story in the grand scheme of one the like what it means to develop friendships as adults. Uh, but also particularly what it means for Black men to develop uh, meaningful connections, not just, you know, the guys that you hang around with, but people whose lives genuinely become a part of yours, people who sharpen you, who help to make you a better human being, uh, which is, you know, the heart of why we even started this podcast in the first place. So, yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah. I want to, and I got to say this before I forget, I know we're going to go to all kinds of places of the conversation, but um, man, I mean, so I, you know, I know both of you like in real life, we have a real life relationship and excited to talk more about that today, but um, just proud, proud of you two and, and uh, commitment and, and courage um, that it would take to start Black Men Unlearning and continuing to push through. You know, a lot of us have different ideas that we sit on and fear and, and doubt and insecurity and imposter syndrome uh, make it hard for us to just start. And so in a lot of ways, you all are, are trailblazing the path for me and I'm sure a whole host of other people. So I just I just wanted to say at the at the beginning of the conversation how proud I am of the work that you all are doing as a person who is a black man trying to unlearn. Thank you, brother. That, that means a lot. Yeah, man. So if you haven't surmised already, uh, we're talking today about um, developing friendship and adult friendship as black men. Um, and so Colin, I thought it only appropriate, not only to have our good friend uh, on the pod with us as our first guest, but to discuss um, the kind of challenges and difficulties and nuances that come with shifting into yourself as a, a fully grown adult and still maintaining friendships. Uh, I think there's been a lot in pop culture about uh, discussed about men's relationships and loneliness and some of the difficulties that come with just, you know, you say Western society, but particularly American society and the way that capitalism shapes our lives and where we are physically and the types of uh, pressures and necessities that exist in our lives around our work. So much so that sometimes our personal experience and our ability to interact with each other shifts and changes. And I think uh, our relationship, uh, the three of us, is is um, actually dealing with some of that in this space. So we wanted to give voice to that and, and make some space today. So, um, Chris, we'll, we'll, we'll go ahead and start. Like, what, what has it been like for you generally? And I know it's a big question, but to to think about maintaining um, the friendships that you have as your life shifts and changes? Yeah, um, I think 
It is a big question. <laughs> I think I think for me, the maintenance of a friendship is a little easier than establishing. And I know we'll probably get to that in this conversation, but um, just because, you know, I, I come from, I came of age in the, I don't know if we call it this, but the Drake era, you know, and I'm just thinking about uh, um, that song with Kyla, like the no new friends. And, you know, I, I really like embodied that. Uh, just, you know, I, I had a good core group of friends from a very young age. And so I really wasn't interested in trying to find any new ones, particularly like male friends, right? I think it's different when it comes to, you know, women and those different gender dynamics. But in terms of maintaining friendship, part of what I've, I've had to learn, especially in my 30s, is how, you know, we as, or myself as a Black cis straight man, only thinking about like effort required in relationship through the prism of like romantic relationship. Right. So open to the idea of like the need for work and improvement and sacrifice when it comes to my romantic relationships, but not always being willing to to honor the work that's required for my friendships, particularly with other men. And so I think for me, one of the lessons that I've been learning over the last couple of years is it, it's, a, it's a commitment that requires effort in the same way that you would give in a romantic relationship. If you want to hold on to it, you got to do the same for your friendships, especially when folks start moving other sides of the country, you know, from my, my, my bro Kyle in different time zones, you know, as, as folks get busy and family comes into the picture, it takes real effort. It, it takes you, you know, taking the time to get to know folks and what their interests are, what their needs are, the different personality traits. It, it takes you, um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about when I was in Columbus, I don't even know, like two weekends ago, and I went to, to, to me and Kyle's spot. And like it's hard. Kyle and I have spent so much time in this 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 one location, this 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 bourbon bar. That like I can't go and not think about Kyle. Like Kyle is synonymous with Alibi for me, for my Columbus folks. If you're looking for a nice bourbon spot, check out the Alibi on High Street. But um, so like in the past, right? Like I might go to a space like that, think of a, a friend, and like just leave it alone. Now recognizing how much harder friendship is when you get older. When I when I think of you, I'm reaching out. If for nothing else, just to say, like, bro, like, I, I just thought about you today, right? Like, and I think like, I've, I've learned that I've had to be intentional about that, especially because we don't talk as often, right? So when I, when, when I think of you, like, I try to, I try to reach out, and I, and I think when I was younger, you know, a lot of like heteronormativity and and the, and the cloud of homophobia makes it like you're thinking of another man and reaching out to that man when you think of him, like, that's that's an important piece to me. Um, peace for me now. And I think also just um, like being intentional about creating opportunities to connect, right? I think when we were a little younger and we were in grad school and had those natural spaces for community, it was a lot easier to connect, but now you got to make time for it. You got to like, you got to put it on the calendar. You got to set reminders. I got to, I got to, I got to, you know, make, write down notes when like Edwin tells me he got a keynote coming up in a couple of months or, you know, um, there's a, there's a, there's a big, task that's on his mind that I, I want to make sure I follow up with him on it. So I just think it takes a level of intentionality that wasn't required when I was younger and a commitment to to like prioritizing the work that's required to maintain relationship. And I think the struggle for for black cis straight men is resisting like the 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 temptation to 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 pull away because homophobia tells you that you don't you don't do that with a with a man. Yeah, something in the way of 
vulnerability as a practice, I think is so crucial to our emotional health generally as human beings, but specifically for men and for black men, because of the kinds of uh, social worlds that we've often been shaped by or actively responding to, I think it it matters. And this is not just to like distinguish us from the larger uh, podcast industrial complex, but I think it matters that we're three brothers in higher ed with our PhDs. Uh, and in so many ways that furnishes this context for how we've been taught to engage the world with a certain measure of cultivated curiosity, or I guess uh, I think of organized curiosity as Zora Neale Hurston uh, talked about like research. And so we are already people who are situated to be observant, to be studying, to be interrogating, asking questions, remaining open. And I think about how those sorts of frameworks or ways of engaging the world, one, are not things we can simply take for granted. And it occurs to me often just how the dynamic even between us as friends and brothers is, it's not like say the rarest thing on earth ever, like man, no guys have ever been friends like this before, ever. <laughs> it's not that, but I realize in my encounters and engagements with people that the way so many men uh, do or do not depend on other men in the capacity of emotional care is it's few and far between. It's it's certainly lacking given the ways I see a lot of people's uh, lives kind of play out, whether it's the ways we uh, learn to hold things in or hold things back. Um, but also, man, I think just what it means for like shutting ourselves off from really beautiful and meaningful connection. Like uh, we, we ain't airing laundry today, but I think about the very real conversations we have all had and the fact that friendship allowed us to go to some deep places to share some hard things, uh, to deal with some very real stuff, and I'm and so I'm 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 both grateful for that and I lament how many men shut themselves off from that for various reasons. Uh, both of your commentary has me thinking about our education um, and how that has played into our ability to release some things that are not working for us and and maybe have a have some kind of grounding in an idea that there doesn't need to need to be a permanence to the positions that we hold now i'm going to get into that but i cannot let another moment pass without uh pointing out the fact that chris mentioned the drake age and that's not what was on my bingo card that's not how i thought drake might be mentioned in today's podcast i thought we might drag him a little bit for you know, going at black women uh, in this album that I'm probably not going to listen to because Drake needs to grow up. But that being said, uh, man, like grad school was the place that I learned that some of the things that I thought 
though I thought myself thought of myself as brilliant, you know, going into graduate school, like some of the, the thoughts that I had were not actually very good ones, were not really valuable. And they were things that I had to to let go. And I think uh, that was that experience was very much a part of uh, my ability to shift as well in my relationships and to and to think differently about how we could show up for each other. I think I learned uh, a lot from being around folks who were studying all manner of things, but who were particularly affected uh, by Bell Hooks writing and um, who were sharing like just a sentiment of like, where's the love in this? Um, and so it, it helped me to recognize that there were aspects of um, vulnerability that needed to be present in my relationship so that if, you know, in the case of with the two of you, like if uh, the 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 situation seemed to um, invite us into a level of deeper relationship that I was open to being able to do that, that I was open to being honest enough and sharing uh, enough of myself and then even admitting when I was getting things wrong uh, and so I wonder what role our kind of educational paths have played in the ways that we show up in friendship I mean I certainly think for me at least uh, particularly my time as a doctoral student it, it forced me to confront uh, my engagement with patriarchy mm -hmm. um, a lot more than I did when I was younger or before I, I got to, to my doctoral program. And that wasn't necessarily things that I was learning in the classroom, although those those things did help. But just, uh, you know, thinking about our time with the, the Black Graduate Professional Student Caucus, uh, when it, it, it primarily being Black women, many of whom are, you know, studying, writing, you know, producing work that does connect to gender, race, and sexuality, and all those different um, identities. I just, you know, I think my my paradigms came out a lot more, right? Like my uh, the the work that was required for me to be a better version of myself came out a lot more. And I think because I was also in close relationship with mostly black women, they felt comfortable to to call out certain dimensions of you know, my, my subscribing to patriarchy that I may not have seen for myself. I mean, that's kind of the way the privilege works, right? Like you don't necessarily notice it because you don't have to. Uh, and so I think, yeah, just, I think proximity to folks who are seriously taking up these different ideas and frameworks um, that allow us to to reimagine our relationships in, in more transformative and loving ways, I think definitely facilitated my, my journey. I think being in like relationship, like romantic relationship, and, you know, being close with another person who gets to see all the best parts of you, but also all the worst parts of you too, certainly expedited that that journey for me and, and forced me to confront some other realities about who I am. And then I think, you know, like, like I'm, I'm really thoughtful about the time that I spent with you, Edwin, as a, as a roommate, right? Like, cer certainly like emotional closeness is a key part of friendship, but also like like physical closeness, right? So it's one thing for, for us to meet up a couple of times in the week because we just have shared communities. It's something different for me to live with you, right? And so like you get a different level of perspective into my life um, to be able to hold me accountable in, in different ways, right? Some of the things that might, some of my like more private self that might not be as apparent to the rest of the world, 
you got to see. And so I imagine that gives you a different kind of vantage point when we do have conversation as, as brothers. And so I just think uh, not that everybody who gets a, a formal degree is in some way separate from the rest of society. Uh, that's not the case at all. But I will say for me, it, it was helpful, not so much in what I got in the classroom, but just being like close to folks sure. who are really invested in this type of investigative curiosity to learn more about who they are in the world and then give back to, to folks certainly helped me in my journey of, of unlearning or at least like becoming more aware. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm, this this too for me speaks to also what what it means to cultivate a kind of honesty or transparency, openness with people. Like yeah, proximity like pushes that in a very specific way, and it matters a lot to me that we all got to be in proximity. Uh, in some ways that were incidental, but also in ways that became very intentional over time. So to say, hey, you know what? We're meeting up to watch the game. We're ordering some wings. We're, you know, and we all and we always knew that like, okay, maybe the game is the sort of pretext for the gathering, but fundamentally it's about, hey, it's it's time for the bros to get together. Like, like we got stuff going on, you know. <laughs> professionally, personally, and, you know, everything in between. And, and so I think too about how all of those occasions for, for gathering, for meeting, right? Like setting, setting an intention, like is a, is a key piece to whatever you're going to get out of anything. And I certainly know, like on the, on the flip side of even like that educational piece, there are often ways in which those educational settings, because they are not, I mean, you know, so much of life is socially constructed, right? And then we can could talk about what that we mean by that. But particularly in grad school, like things are skewed at times in a way that is like, oh, wait, you're encountering like a cross section of people in a way that you normally would not. And right. that is not like a repeatable kind of experience in the larger world. You know, so I'm 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 reminded one with that of of the sort of gift that it is to actually find people who um, who sharpen you in a meaningful way, and who understand. And this I will thank grad school for this that sharpening does not come without friction, but also that friction and conflict are not things to be avoided. I think there are things to be understood, to be deployed well. Uh, this this honestly <laughs> makes me think of <laughs> there's the there's a scene in the in the the movie Step Brothers where I think Will Will Ferrell says to 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 John C. Riley's character like, "Did we just become best friends or something like that?" Right, <laughs> and and he's and he's talking about like this moment uh, where they cross this threshold. And up to that point, their relationship had been marked by this kind of tension and this suspicion, this wariness. And I feel like for a lot of men, and not just men, but we talking about men, because <laughs> it's being you, um, for, for a lot of us, there is this kind of way that like, when you encounter like new people that's coming into the circle, or it's like, 
hey, I don't know this cat. Or I don't know where they came from. I don't know what they about. It's like you kind of circle at each other in a, in a metaphorical and sometimes literal sense, like trying to figure each other out because, you know, the, the, the social dynamics we've often been shaped by, whether it's the, the no new friends or whether it's the, you know, I think the way men often engage each other with somewhere in the back of their mind, evaluating like, oh, is this person a threat? Is this somebody like, and what, regardless of how rational that is, like there's just, I think a certain kind of tension that often marks the way men are engaging each other. Um, but like friendship and deep relationship requires like negotiating past whatever sort of like tensions or suspicions might have marked the, uh, the way we move in the world. You, you said something too, kind of, I want to name like for for the listeners, you know, it's it's not always easy. Like I'm thinking about the times when I was going through it, and I know you know we'll be talking about loneliness and other other subtopics as well. But like I I might be going through it, and and as much as I'm aware of like the like the the messaging that's untrue and unfounded around like I can't text Kyle about this or I can't text Edwin about this, right? It's still kind of hard to push through to be like, yo, I had a really rough week. I could really use some community. Like, even though I've done that several times, it's it's still a little challenging to put yourself because you are putting yourself out there. And I think I think I wonder if that's also what, what limits black men from having you know more deeper engagement with other black men is as you get older, you do have to like and you move to different cities and stuff. You got to put yourself out there. Right. You have to like sometimes you got to ask. You got to invite folks out. And so I want to name that, like, I love what we've been able to cultivate, but I also want to, I want to honor the fact that it's not always easy because of the messaging around these types of encounters, right? Like, and being vulnerable is a scary thing. But there there are se several times when I just needed to talk to somebody or I just needed to, like, share space with one of y'all. And there was a part of me that almost didn't do it, but I found enough strength to pick up my phone and sit in the text and say, yo, I, 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 need, I need this. And part of what I love about y'all call out Kyle, what I love about Kyle is like, I feel like 10 out of 10 times, like I, I wonder if he can sense it. Kyle's like, bet, bet, cool, bet. And I, and I just wonder if like, if you have like a sixth sense, like yo, Chris, like really need, he needs some like community. And I, I, I may not say in the text, really, yo, I got this weird situation with this woman. I'm not really sure how to respond to. I need your opinion. I don't give you all of that. I might just say, yo, I need you. And you, you tend to like be always willing to say yes. Um, and so I just want to, I want to, I want to honor the fact that like, it is not always easy to be the person to extend yourself and reach out to say, yo, I really need some community this weekend. Yeah, uh, man. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I I was just gonna say part of the part of the struggle in that is really acknowledging which the acknowledgement of a level of insecurity that exists within us isn't really going in line with the way that we've been socialized uh in a patriarchal system, right? And I think that often like the 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 challenge in that is in that moment of weakness, are you willing to say? I'm not I'm not feeling good about this. And for many folks, like you might even be willing to say that, but you've been rebuffed when, when it happens or you've received, you know, 
um, kind of ridicule or like a joke in response to you saying that you that you need support. Like that's that's a legitimate thing for some folks. It's not a a, a made up fear. Um, and so I I I know for myself, I I have in the past couple of years fought against a part of myself that has wanted to isolate. I think particularly, you know, thinking about COVID and how difficult it's been. Um, and sometimes as folks have gotten, as we started getting busy again and uh, falling into the routines that have been pressed upon us, uh, it was easy for me to feel like I was out of the way and to almost live into that isolation. Like not only am I not seeing my my folks, but uh, part of the reason why I'm not seeing them is because um, they don't need me or they're not really thinking about me. And Chris, there was a time last year, I want to say that around your birthday last year, yep. that you kind of pulled me aside and was like, yo, it's, what's, what's going on? Like, is you, is there an issue? Like, are you, are you upset with me about something? And I had to recognize and come outside of myself and recognize like, nah, that wasn't, that wasn't what it was. Uh, I think one of the challenges within this is like, how do we cultivate the space to be able to have difficult interactions with each other, to be able to hold each other accountable and to say those truths um, when so much of our socialization is circling each other and trying to anticipate what someone's intentions are and sizing them up and kind of creating a hierarchy within our relationships and associations uh, so that we can function in a way that we feel is safe. You know, if I'm, if I'm constantly in a space of trying to protect myself primarily, how do I then practice good vulnerability and learn that it is safe for me to be open with folks. And I I, I want to name that it's 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 really it's a blessing. And it's it's I I feel very, you know, the I feel like the almost the the churchy way of saying lucky is blessed in this situation, right? But I, I feel like super fortunate to have relationships with folks who will pull me away from the edge or who will say a hard thing to me in a moment where I need to hear it. And uh, I recognize that not everybody has access to that. And, and many of that, many of the issues that stop folks from being able to uh, be reached in that way have a lot to do with the way that we're, we're socialized, that we, we are taught to be um, strong enough to, to carry our own weight and to not share like the low with other folks or to to feel like we're being burdensome when we say like, I, it's just too much right now. So a lot of the stuff that we see around us in terms of um, mental health with black men. And there was an article a few months ago uh, about the types of spaces that men are seeking uh, companionship in and how a lot of those spaces are leaning heavily into you know, quote unquote, toxically masculine ways of approaching the world and uh, like uh, beefed up, like terrible versions of patriarchy, patriarchy being bad already, but like really thinking about, you know, 
taking misogyny to another level, like hating women, moving into spaces of discussing femicide, like those types of, of spaces are flourishing in many ways because folks don't feel safe to have those types of emotional conversations. Um, and I think when you exist within the system that we do, where it is so hard to establish new relationship, particularly because our, our lives move us different places. We're all in higher ed. In the last few months, y'all were, y'all were in Columbus in the spring, both of you. And so we could easily text each other and go to someone's house and kick it for an evening. Now you're on opposite coasts. I'm still in Columbus, but like that has an effect because there's not a whole bunch of folks here that I have go-to set up uh, to, to go to someone's house and to have that kind of vulnerability with. So, you know, as, as fortunate as I've been, it still can be isolating. It still can be difficult. So imagine for someone who didn't have that to begin with, you know, like it is extremely challenging to bring in a level of uh, vulnerability and feel safe enough to be vulnerable in that way when you're trying to establish relationship and to do so over distance when you're trying to sustain it. I'm uh, I'm I'm thinking of what you uh, you said earlier, Chris, about uh whether I had this sort of sixth sense about what I could tell, like, okay, something is, something is up. And what I think about is how our sort of present responses and strategies are also reflective of past experiences and formation. One of the things I think about when I reflect on my sort of childhood and adolescence Two big things. One, being one of seven kids, I was acutely aware of not wanting to be a burden and actively doing everything I could to be unobtrusive, be to myself, to take care of my things, my needs, right? Um, and along with that, I, I developed a high internal valuation of competency. So it mattered for me to both one, not be a burden to others, and two, to be as self-sufficient as possible, to avoid as much as possible ever being in need. And as you can imagine, that's, that's a survival strategy. That's not a, a way towards a healthy, flourishing life believing and internalizing that you got to do everything yourself and that you can't ever be caught off guard, can't be caught unaware, got to be always ready and vigilant. That's, that's taxing, that's stressful. And it's not reflective of life and community. And so when I think about how that was a part of my formation, it occurs to me one of the things that I tried to do, particularly in my friendships, my relationships, is to be aware of the things that have shaped me, even traumatically, and ask myself, and some, some of this, I, I think, kind of goes to the, the idea of how we, uh, we parent ourselves, 
right? Like we parent the children we were as adults in order to ensure that we're getting the things we need. And one of the things I knew I needed was, hey, you know what? I needed folks to just be available, not to just assume that I was okay because I was competent, because I was capable, but rather, even if I can handle this thing, man, you know what? Sometimes it feels good to just carry it with someone else. Sometimes it feels good to even just walk with someone while I'm carrying it. Like, and so I, I think in terms of my own response uh, to my friends and, and to you particularly as, as an adult, I both could recognize and sense I know what it takes to reach out and say, hey, I need presence, I need connection, I need conversation, communication, because I know how much I actively avoided it for a long time. But I also recognize, and I think this comes with time and experience and age in some respects, you recognize the, the limited opportunities you really have to show up in that way for the people in your lives. It's not to say, oh, you know, time is ticking. Like time is, time is not running out. We are. <laughs> uh, time is going to do what it's going to do. But while we're present to time and space and proximity, I think it was, it was important for me because I knew with the ways all of our lives were in motion, like, man, we're not going to always have this time here. Uh, I think about it same same way we think about think about undergrad or think about grad school. You know, man, the the thing about the good old days is you often don't realize what they were until they're past. And so for me, it mattered to be able to say, hey, you know what? Like you got <laughs> you got time, you got resources, you got a car. Like hop in your car, go meet up with your homie, like and be there because you won't always be able to. Mm -hmm. So when you can and when it's possible, right? Like, I think it's, it becomes that matter of, of intention and like of knowing like, man, if anything is going to happen, it's up to you to be intentional, to, to choose it, to make it happen. You know? So that, that I think is, is how I've tried to operate, man. It's just to be like, what did I know that I needed that I often shut myself off from uh, asking for, or believed or convinced myself that, oh, that's too much to ask, or man, you know, people got other stuff going on. And I'm like, well, yeah, people always got something else going on, like they're living their whole lives. But um, but friendship, you know, is not just about, um, it's not just about convenience. It's not just about the fun, the hanging out. You know, it's also about, hey, we're humans having a, a life experience. How do we, help to make that bearable and fruitful for each other. I think there's like a, such a, a clear connection point to what you just shared, Kyle, and what, what Evan was talking about in terms of, you know, how, how do we hold folks accountable and how do we push past some of the, the barriers that make it hard to have those, those really tough conversations or ask those, those tough questions. And I think, um, you know, I, I love your, your, your push around like not just time, but like recognizing that because, all three of us are in higher ed, and both Kyle and myself have, at least in the in the short term, made a commitment to to this this faculty life, right? Like the reality is, there's a good chance that we're not going to stay in the same geographic region, 
right? And so, and for me personally, you know, one of the things that I experienced talking about the the different things that in, in sort of create our, our formations and experiences and how we show up, you know, I, I lost my best friend in life at, in my early 20s. And prior to that, thought about time or like, you know, time and it's really like, we got all the time. Like I'm, I'm not, I'm not really tripping about where we are right now because we got time, and then got smacked in the face with the reality that I, I didn't have as much time as I thought. And so, you know, just going back to to the example that you shared, I went about like sort of where you were mentally when we had that conversation, um, this time last year. You know, for me, like when I when I think about my time in Columbus, which was almost like the better part of a, a, a decade. I, like you were you you were in our essential part of that. And so just thinking about like how 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 limited our, our interactions were, like I I was having I was doing a whole bunch of mental gymnastics. I was trying to figure out like, yo, what is going on? You know, and then like, you know how we like to to create certain catastrophe in our minds and, and we're so self-centered at times. I'm like, it gotta be me, you know, like I I did something that I you know, stop working at the church and I, I wouldn't want to fool me no more. Or, you know, I went through a breakup with a, a mutual friend and I don't want to fool me no more. Or, you know, everyone has evolved in different ways. Maybe I haven't, so you don't want to fool me. You know, so I'm, I'm creating all of these scenarios in my mind. And I remember having a conversation with another friend of ours and they were just like, or you could just talk to him. And I was thinking to myself, like, mm, I don't really think I want to have that conversation. I like I'm like I'm afraid of what's on the other side of that conversation. Cause what if he doesn't want to fool me anymore? And then I, <laughs> I gotta deal with that, right? So uh, but part of what and and I, I think not to plug it, but you know, communion for black men, which we're, we're all a part of, has given me a lot of practice in this space and allowed me to witness how other folks are having these hard conversations and, and confronting these challenging conflicts. And so I think going back to the to the notion of vulnerability, I'm starting to get the sense it's going to undergird much of our conversation today. But going back to vulnerability, I, I think I tried my best. And you can correct me if I'm wrong. When I tried my best to talk about like what, what I was feeling as a result of how I was making sense of what was going on. So it's not that like Edwin is terrible, you know, you're no longer, but like I miss you, bro. Like I like I, I miss I miss the hell out of you, you know, and I haven't been able to see you. And I'm just trying to figure out like how we can improve that rather than, yo, so like I've noticed over the last six weeks, like, you know, where to be like, and I think folks get defensive in that when we could just sort of lean into what it is we're feeling that's ultimately driving us to want to have this conversation with a person. Right. And then give you an opportunity to share where, where you're coming from. And so I really I'm, I've really tried my, my, my best to, to lean into the vulnerability that I'm experiencing that ultimately is leading me to want to have a conversation, even when I had those those, those tough convos. And, and, and this, this idea of accountability, I'm not going to hold you. I don't really like being critiqued like that. I'm just being honest. But I think I think we got to reimagine what accountability can look. I think it has like sort of this negative connotation at times when, when really how I've tried to think about accountability is, okay, Edwin Kyle, I've spent a considerable amount of time with each of you. I've gotten to know you. We've had conversations about your values. They shine through and how you show up. We've had conversations about your goals, how you wanna, how you wanna be in the world. And, and I'm 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 experiencing something from you, or I'm hearing something from you that doesn't align with that. One or two things can be true. One, like you are off in terms of who you 
want to be in this world. And it, as a friend, it's on me to like bring you back to who you're supposed to be or something changed in terms of your values and your goals. Either way, we need to have a conversation about it because I feel like that's my job as a friend to help you stay rooted in who you want to be when I see you begin to slide off in different ways. And so I think about accountability in that way. It's not that like you're doing something wrong or I'm judging you. It's more of this is what I believe about you based on what you share with me. And I'm seeing something that that doesn't reflect that. And I just, I want to have a conversation with you about it. And this makes me wonder about, you know, whether, you know, sometimes you're experiencing a thing and then you say it out loud and you realize that like, you're not the only one that's having that experience, right? It makes me wonder how many of us have experienced some type of consequence, some negative consequence for being vulnerable or for saying the thing that they, that we feel. Um, because I find that now there's more fear present in some of my close adult relationships, like with, with some of my, with some of my closest friends. And, and this is something that is specific to my relationships, my friendships with other men. Like there is a, a fear that some line will be crossed or that we will reach a point where we diverge um, or that at some point we will outgrow each other. And it's almost like there are times um, when I spend time with my friends that I haven't been with for a while, where I'm just looking for the moment to confirm that like, we're still good. Like everything's still what it was. And, uh, it's it's scary when you are already feeling the the shifts that come with life and you're you're looking for you know just solid ground to then feel like these relationships that have always been solid might be under threat even if it is just in your own head like it's it's your conception of what's happening um and it just caused this i wonder because nothing nothing comes to mind for me. Like, where's the space where I learned to initiate those kinds of conversations and to be cool with, like, putting things on the line in a manner of speaking um, to, to just check in and say, are you good? Because, like, I'm feeling this and maybe this isn't the case, but um, I, I would rather be sure about that then leave myself in a space where uh i'm 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 lost or i'm i'm building a narrative about what is actually taking place here that may not be true um and so yeah like i how much is how much is fear standing in the way of like that kind of loving accountability because i i think and i chris i heard you say this earlier that there were and I'll, I'll name it not just women in our lives but black women in our lives would like lovingly call us on some of the spaces where we weren't um living up to to the highest standards right or uh embodying mindsets or beliefs and communicating beliefs that were you know less than great um how many of those conversations do I remember having with other men, at least initially? 
in like that kind of mid twenties area, I feel like I wasn't having a lot of them. I think I learned to, but those tended to be like lower stakes. Somebody who was more of a peripheral friendship and not necessarily one of, you know, my best friends or somebody that I'm spending like a ton of time with. And I think accountability in these spaces can feel like a threat. Like if I name the thing, I might set off the set of, of occurrences that will, that will end this. And so much of it is, is moving in this, in this fear of what will be lost by risking growing in this space. Yeah, like to grow is risky. And to grow means stepping outside of the confinements or the perceptions of who we were. And many times I think folk are sometimes it's you know a re like a resistance to change other times it's recognizing the resistance that comes when people see you moving differently and i wonder like oh you know what's that about like you you know you changing it up and i think this is there's something particular to how i've seen this with with black men and how growth in different respects often becomes a reflection on or cast a light on where others are not or are choosing not to grow, choosing not to learn differently or to unlearn, mm -hmm. choosing not to uh, to shift. And so people have, you know, we have many ways of deflecting it like, oh, oh, look at this guy, you know, he doing X, Y, and Z now. Like, I mean, people do this for all kinds of stuff. Like, oh man, you, you only drinking water now? Like, man, I see you eating a lot of a lot of veggies over here. Like, you're not going vegan, right? <laughs> like, but like, it's, and there's this kind of joking way that like, okay, just because you drink Coke and eat fried food every day doesn't mean I'm casting aspersions on your choice, but you recognize as well as I do that that maybe ain't the best way to move and not for the, the optimal uh realization of a flourishing and healthy life and like when i think about like what that means relationally for dudes like some some of it like i think i think women in my life in part because of the relative degree of precarity they experience relative to men in their lives it becomes not just a matter of like relational concern and care, but also a matter of recognizing, hey, there are things or there are patterns I've observed that happen with men in my life who don't get these things in check or who aren't attentive to these details, these matters, right? And, you know, I do, I do, I do think part of the way we develop that capacity both to give and to receive is to I mean, we like, I think we got to develop it in sort of lower stakes moments. Like, what does it look like to not just wait until it's an all or nothing situation to start practicing? Hey, you know, do you do you tell the people you care about how you feel about things that happen for the good, the bad or the the in between? 
Because then that, I think that makes it much more of just a relational habit versus an exceptional relational thing we do when stuff gets hard, it gets difficult. Um, I, I, will, I will say, and I think this, this actually, one of the, one of the things that I, that I think about too is like what, like what happens when you kind of live through or process through those inflection points where it's like, okay, things could go one way or the other. This could either grow our relationship or like you could handle this in a way that like forecloses further relationship. And like, I think about this, this is where I think this is a great, a great entry point for even talking about like how we, how we became friends because, um, and I, and we, this was until like, until later after we had gotten real cool, right? Like, so long story short and you can you can uh you know add details or amend as necessary because i don't remember all of what, how it went but like i when i moved to columbus uh chris wasn't in columbus chris was in uh, i believe north carolina at the time right yeah, um, yeah. you know he's there doing doing his thing um and i became friends with uh a mutual friend of ours <laughs> um and we we got real cool right and this is the person that like you know chris at the time i i don't remember at the time or like at some at some point during our friendship our knowledge of each other chris came back to columbus uh and was dating this person i become friends with yeah and uh and and like so of course like he comes back right and you know, he don't know me from Adam. I'm just a dude who's like here now and around. And it's like, yo. And it and I and I'm not even saying it was like necessarily because of that, but you know, it's like, okay, the the dynamic. I think the first time we I think we went to Chewy's like one Sunday. Yes. And it was so it was like the first time, like all of us being like in shared space. Um and yeah, like it's it's funny. Like I didn't feel like there was like tension, but it was also like, okay, yeah, we don't. I don't really know this guy. He don't really know me, so I don't know what's. I don't know what that's gonna be. <laughs> no, I mean, just you know, I want you to I want you to continue, but yeah, like that's, and I've had time to process it. I mean, it's been a couple of years now, but mainly it is like who is, who is this person, right? And then you know you got you got other men or a man who's in my ear. Telling me, you know, I've 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 observed some things. I don't know what's going on with their relationship, right? So you got all of these these messages in your head, and I think you know, ego, yeah. pride, right? Like, um, but yeah, all, yeah, but continue. I'm sorry. That's just I'm just giving no, no, you this point. No, no, yeah, but like so, and 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 so, as is often the case, there are all these other things like going on that have nothing to do with like our relationship to each other. Um. But what I appreciated was um, over time, it just like building familiarity, building rapport. You know, I think we we were able to see in one another, you know, things we had in common, the sort of uh, shared values, kind of vision and goals, right? Um, and that like became a really, um, you know, it became like just the seeds of a really uh, flourishing and fruitful friendship, man. Um, and I think about how like it could have been it could have been easy for these other like perspectives or perceptions to like undercut 
what ends up becoming like a really good friendship. Um, and like, it's not, and it's not as if it's, you know, like extreme stuff. It's, it's more like, no, like as human beings, we naturally are, you know, we're like, we're, we're piecing things together. We're like figuring stuff out. And more often than not, we're trying to figure out life from limited information. Uh, and part of our, like I, what I think the, as a kind of accountability in friendship does is it pushes us to open up that, that, that capacity for gathering more information, like ask, ask more questions and better questions. Um, and importantly, like commute, and I think you, you hit the nail on the head, Chris, like the ability to communicate how you feel about a thing versus needing to like read people to riot act about, I mean, you know, I just think it's funny how da 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 da. <laughs> I'm like, no, like talk about how you feel, talk about your 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 feelings. And um and and like I la I laugh about it now because like part of part of how I think we really work through that vulnerability is allowing it to be tested. Like you, you gotta try, like you don't know that a thing is stable until it's been subjected to conditions that could threaten stability. Um, and, and like, I, I, I just, you know, between the, the, the three of us, man, like, I mean, part of what I've appreciated is both like the ability to just lay stuff on the table, be like, yo, here's what's, here's what's happening. Here's what's going on. Uh, the ability sometimes to just commiserate and be like, hey, you know, I don't have answers or solutions, but I do have presence. I do have care. I do have compassion. And like, to me, all all of that, like, it's, you know, it's part of that puzzle. It's no science to it, but it's it's an art, man. And like, I think, you know, you get better with your art by like creating more art. I, I think too, like some, some of what's coming up for me right now, uh, like I'm, I'm feeling some of it even in this moment. I want to, I want to honor what I'm feeling, but like we don't talk as much about how insecure a lot of us are. Yeah. Particularly as you know, we don't, we don't just name that. Right. And so, so that's one part. I just think there's a lot of insecurity that drives a lot of our decision-making and movement and how we posture and whatnot. But also like, I think it's, it's really important for us to try to like, resist um making sense of our friendships in and through like what we produce right like so so like you know Edwin and Kyle, like they're friends with me because I have a PhD and because I'm relatively and y'all can't see me but I'm I'm doing air quotes relatively successful or you know because I'm advancing in my in my my life or I'm I'm improved. So when I see you making certain strides right like when I see Kyle doing this thing scholarly or when I see Edwin like stepping out and, and, and doing more creative work and, and you know embracing like his 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 natural hair journey and you know working on some of his personal goals right like if if I think that our friendship is mostly predicated on the things that I offer when I see you leveling up it then forces me to think about how I'm not and then I think that is part of what makes me begin to question how solid our friendship is Right. Like if Edwin or Kyle passed me in some way, are we going to be able to still be as close with friends? And I don't think that we because we, we, don't, we don't always 
name our feelings or, or sort of sit in our emotionality as as black men i don't know if we always know as immediately like yo i'm friends with you because you give me the space to be authentic or i'm friends with you because i appreciate the care and compassion that you bring to this relationship or i'm friends with you because i know that when you go on you go on you go on like vibe with me when i say i'm getting ready to drop another 300 on a pair of sneakers even though i just dropped 300 last month like i, I appreciate that about you it's a terrible idea but i know you're going to support it because you know life is hard or I appreciate the fact that I can have, you know, conversation about Project Pat's influence on Three Six Mafia with my bro Kyle, and at the same time have a conversation about this book proposal that he's sitting in, or you know, my my CV and how I need to strengthen it, right? Like it's it's the kind of range that we have that that connects me to our friendship, or that I get to like do things that you know some of the homies I grew up with may not always value. We get to go on hikes. Cause we both realize that, yo, we need some fresh air, right? Like, or it, just the different, the different range that I think sometimes we're not always given space permission to be able to explore. Like that is what connects me or draws me to friendship. And I imagine it probably also draws in and attracts you all too. But I think what we like to think is, it's the status, it's, it's the, it's the production, it's the accomplishments that ultimately hold this friendship together and when those things get stripped away, is the friendship still that solid? Yeah, there's a need to do the good work uh, of of maintaining the friendship. So kind of like I I, I liken it to to pulling the weeds from your flower bed, flower bed, right? Like, um, it's not just sending a meme every time I see something's funny, you know what I'm saying? Like it's, that's a, that's a good thing. That's, that's something that we should do. Right. But that's not enough to maintain like the depth and to, and to make sure that we're, we're all growing well. Like I, I, I have to take the time and I, I, I'm working to remind myself of this to call y'all and to call all of my friends like it's in, it's important for me to to hear your voice it's important sometimes to um to facetime out of nowhere to talk about something that's funny in the moment and to risk you know you know y'all not answering cuz you're doing something else right like it's 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 fine if that happens right but um those are the types of there's there's a texture to those moments that's missed, particularly in the context of a world that so constantly digitizes our interaction and makes it just these kind of one-off, really quick interactions, these these fleeting moments. And it's taking the time to actually lay eyes on you, even if it's through in in this case, Zoom or or through FaceTime, like taking the, that time to to see how you're reacting to a thing that I'm saying. Uh, rather than, you know, just just leaving it to, you know, these momentary check-ins and and asking you if you're good. Um, and I think so much you're 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 spot on, Chris, when 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 that distance comes into play, it's so easy to fall into those uh foundational socializations, like the ways that I was taught to be or the ways that I learned how to be. Uh, early on, like I, I constantly have to fight against those things. I, I constantly have to remind myself 
how unhealthy those things are for me and to keep myself um honest about when I'm when I'm falling into those old patterns uh so that I don't undermine the the value and uh the good work that I've already done in the relationships that I have and so it's it's so necessary in 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 this time for me to to really you know cultivate the time set aside intentionally the time to to spend time with y'all with you know some of the homies from undergrad um hell with 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 my brother you know like it's 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 such a necessity to do that that extra work of taking the time even when it feels like I don't have it um and i i think that's what's so hard like we are we are always in this fight against being shaped in and molded into what the system has for us so there's always somebody trying to add something to your plate at work or there's always another responsibility that comes up, another thing that gets, you know, added to your schedule. Um, and it's it's navigating, not falling into just constant busyness in under the guise of, of productivity or under the guise of advancement in such a way that moves us to a place that we don't have time for the things that actually feed us and sustain us. And our relationships are such a huge part of that. I I... In in my darkest times, it's it's the people that I develop relationship with that have been able to pull me back, or have been able to to remind me that there's more than just the bleak and the gray and the dark, uh, who have just added like the color back uh, to my world, man. Like, and it's 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 been hard, um, and so. Our unwillingness, and, I, and I'll just bring back the example of that conversation that we had a year ago, Chris, our unwillingness or our, our hesitancy around sharing those vulnerable moments can also rob our friends of this like opportunity to be pulled back from that edge because you had no idea what was going on with me. And I don't know how you reacted when you heard it, but I do know what you told me. You were like, nah, dog, whatever I got to do to make sure that you that you feel good, I got you. I just want to be able to, to spend time with you. I just want to be able to kick it. And that was such an important moment for me. Like, I don't think I I I imagine you don't know how much that lifted me in a time where I was really going through it. And I say that because it is, if we want the kind of friendships that sustain us and, and that that help us to, to feel wholeness and to feel like we're apart, then we have to be willing to, to risk sharing parts of ourselves that feel scary to risk. We have to be willing to risk honesty uh, in the hope that that, that openness and vulnerability will lead to a level, a new level of freedom within the friendship. And that's an important thing that we owe each other in our relationships.
Yeah, man. And like, and I think it's also important to, to call out something that I know most folks already know, but like, it doesn't always work out either. No. Right. Like I can think of a couple friendships right now off the top of my head that, that do not look the same. Mm-hmm. Like, we had a tough conversation. Some things were expressed. And since then, it you know, I'm not really sure we are still friends. I mean, those those things happen. So there is a reality, right, that, you know, it it it, it, it could be different and it might be different. But I think there's also something that's really beautiful. And this is why, like, as as uncomfortable as it can be at times, I, I do try to maintain a lifestyle of leaning into vulnerability because there's so much beauty on the other side, potential beauty on the other side. Right. I think about. um, Like once once you have those really like you know, tough, you know, sort of heart-wrenching at times conversations, like the potential for like newness in relationship. I think about my older brother one time we had a convo and um, this was like uh, my last year undergrad, I think. And I think I shared with him how I just felt like, you know, I was really close with some of my homeboys I grew up with, but didn't have that same connection with with him. And it bothered me. And I can't even recall how he reacted in the moment. Like knowing my older brother, he probably just like brushed it off. But I do remember, like, from that point on, our relationship being different. You know, my older brother calling me a lot more and, you know, like, talking to me a lot more. And and now that's just a normal part of our, our relationship. And so I remember how, like, scary it felt to say that. I remember my, my heart beating super fast having a conversation with him, not wanting to disappoint him or, like, hurt his feelings. But as a result, our relationship got better. And so I think that's always the... Like I, I, when I make the decision, when I try to discern, is this not? Is this a moment where I, I really need to try to like push past my discomfort and be vulnerable? I think about yo, like what, what do I stand to gain potentially? What do we stand to gain as a result of having these really tough conversations? Like I'm thinking about Kyle. Like if 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 we if I didn't have you as a, as a homie in these last two years, oh my god, like. Talk about spiraling in my loneliness. Like I would have been going through it, you know, if if you and I hadn't been able to to have a kind of relationship that we have. So I think for me, it's always it's it's always that there was something else that I wanted to say too before I forget about it. But you know, um, a lot of folks popularize this notion of love language, or whatever. You know, people take the inventory test to see how they can assess their love language, and I think like I remember I remember leaving Columbus to move back home and. In, at the end of June, and um, you all who came to my going away gathering wrote these really cool messages on this black poster board, and I still have it in my my room here, and I, I see it like whenever I leave out the room to start my day, and yeah, I can't tell you how how affirming it is to read those messages, especially on like like those those real tough days, you know, when that rejection come through, Kyle, you know, you, when you believe this is the best work you've ever produced and somebody tells you it's just not going to work out for this <laughs> for this space, mm-hmm. you know, or like you had one of those days in the classroom where you're not sure anybody received anything that you had to offer. Like on those days, those messages are like super, super beneficial. And so I've never like named this to uh, like a man before, but like, Yo, words of affirmation is a top is a top love language of mine. And when I think about like the two of you, you know, you all are some of the the, the dopest like wordsmith I know. You know what I'm saying? And so like when you when you get you know your heart in the sand some messages, 
like y'all can put together some really eloquent messages. And like, sometimes I need to hear that. And, and not just the moment when I'm leaving, you mm. know, or the moment when we have a super duper significant celebration, but sometimes just like in the regular, like day to day, you know, those, those subtle reminders, I'm thinking about like the messages that I get from Edwin via text from time to time. I'm thinking about like the message that you, that you shared Kyle on my birthday, I think last year when we were out and you know, talking about what you mean to me. I don't, I'm, I've never said this out loud to you all, but like yo, that stuff like really helps me. Like, and I think about it, it comes back to me when I'm I'm starting to spiral a little bit or I'm, I'm internalizing the rejections, Kyle, you know, in the market, when that stuff starts getting in my head, like I go back to these messages. And so I think in the same way that we, we think about love languages and, and those romantic spaces, I think it also matters in our friendships. And sometimes it matters just as much, especially if you're not, if you're not currently in a dating situation, where are you receiving those, um, those acts of love? And I would say to add to that, maintaining even in the situations where you are romantically involved with somebody, the other spaces where you're getting love from, because it can't just be from your romantic partner. That's it. There needs to be a normal and regular um, source of love that comes from other places, of that kind of love that comes from other places. So we we have to, in some ways, like diversify the kind of uh, love that we're receiving and and recognize that it doesn't just come from one person and it shouldn't just come from, from one person. You, you make me think about like the like I'll talk to like homegirls of mine and you know they'll talk to a guy um and you know it's like the when once the guy gets comfortable like it's just like a like the floodgates open right and it's just like and I, and I and part of what I'm I'm saying like yo black men are walking around so backed up like so emotionally suppressed because we don't have enough outlets I feel like when you do find somebody where it feels safe like this is like there's an unloading that, that takes place. And so I think you're absolutely right. I love that you said that when you, you got to figure out how to like spread out like your, your your sources of love so that you're not like just draining from any one person. So true, man. Um, having multiple streams that feed into us, I think is so critical, so valuable. And there are there are ways in which even as I think about like our our friendship dynamic, right? Like what I love is that like we both have a collective bond, but we also have individual bonds yeah. between us. Um and like it's it's such an important model for me of uh of what it means to never never allow like relationships to just be governed by like a singular source but recognizing that like man you know the house is more stable when the foundation is broader um and, and like part of the, the 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 challenge and i think growth is in learning right like which which uh which pillars in your life are load-bearing which ones are able to like, cause I also too, right? Every every relationship in my life can't serve the same function. Um, yeah. Every friendship can't serve, uh, you know, can't play the same role. 
And so part of how we honor one another is to also um, be cognizant of the roles that people can actually play. Because I, I also believe in not setting up the people in my life for failure. And um, at times, right, like I think the disappointment in relationships, friendships, et cetera, can come from either like, you know, sometimes an expectation that's unrealistic given the circumstance or the people, or more often than not, I believe, folk walk around with a lot of unspoken expectations and are disappointed when those things go unfulfilled. And I'm like, that is a recipe for resentment. And what I never want in my 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 friendships and life, right, is to is to walk around with a sense that, and I mean, what you said, Chris, about like relationships changing and falling apart and shifting, it's like sometimes the thing that I've I've had to wrestle with is when stuff shifts or changes, and I don't even know entirely why. Mm-hmm. And like I've had, you know, because I have I've had people who I've been real real cool with, and who just stuff got real cool and oh they don't follow me on social media no more or you know we just like you know and these vibes and shifts man it's like what i what i understand now over time is it ain't really about you personally but we do experience these things at a personal level and so like there's all all that to say is that i think there's an ongoing work that we do and have to do in order to kind of maintain that that healthy balance like yeah you know these things impact us because we care and when a thing hits us and it feels like oh that was hard or that was challenging or that was painful i think there's a natural inclination to want to understand to get to the root of it um but there also comes that um the maturity the value of understanding that hmm, you know sometimes you Sometimes you won't know the root of it, but we still have to risk relationship, risk friendship as we as we progress in our lives. And and I think there's something too about like being okay with the change. You know, I think a lot of us, are, you know, we fight change so I don't want to I don't want to change like I don't want to like reimagine my friendships I want but the reality is like we change we evolve right like I I remember like coming to Columbus and and really trying to locate my like Baltimore friends in Columbus and like the reality is you know I was I was changing like there was there was things that were coming out of me that like just weren't happening. And so what I needed in Columbus was just drastically different than what I needed when I was living in, in Baltimore at the time. And so um, I've really tried my best to think about like, yo, and like as much as I want to rush to the next chapter or or as much as I keep lamenting the, the last chapter, there's something about right now in this moment that like I need to just experience, I need to just, you know, settle into. And that might mean my friendships look a little different in this moment, but that that might be a good thing. It may it may not be a bad thing. And so like I'm I'm thinking about like how like it's a small example, probably nobody cares about, but I love how um engaged in music you you both are. And I remember I remember this one time, Kyle, you came through the crib and you brought, I think you brought the hiatus 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 coyote. Is that how you say hiatus coyote? That's correct. Final and um and played it while we were just first of all, I've never, I've never 
invited anybody over the crib to just listen to vinyl. So that was that was the first, like nobody beyond gender, whatever. Like I've never invited anybody. So that was the first. Didn't even know that was a thing. Now I'm adding that to the to the date repertoire. I'm like, okay, you know, coming through the crib to listen to vinyls. That's a that's a vibe. And then like you put me on to an entire like sound that I just had not been exposed to. And so like I feel like my 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 excitement and energy around collecting rec records really just sort of collided with spending more time with you and just opening up pathways for me to experience. And every time you would come through, you would tell me about a drummer. You would tell me about like a vocalist. Like you would put me on or, put, you know, share like a, 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 a playlist or something. And then it would broaden my horizon. And so I think in that moment, I didn't know it. Like I didn't wake up and, and say at that in that chapter, like, Yo, I need another friend that's going to help me with my my musical reach, but like you were, you were that person in that, in that season. And so I just think that we have to be a little more open to like just the organic connections that come that might be really helpful for get, for us getting to the next version of ourselves that we might not even be aware of at that particular moment. Yeah. You can't, you can't shape your life in such a way that you can, you try to uh, create space only for the the good things to come in. Like we're we're just not in control in that way, and I think there's something to be said about like a capitalist and patriarchal culture that makes us believe that that's something that we can do. That we can always design for the least level of risk or the least level of disappointment. And what what I found, and I, I saw somebody post something, a quote about this, but when I have tried to design my life in a way that minimizes the disappointment, what I've done is actually maximize the level of disappointment that I experience. Wow. I have, uh, so, and, and I say that because it's in the not risking the vulnerability. It's in the not asking the question. It's in the not, you know, bringing up the hard thing and risking that the there will be a no on the other side of it, or there'll be a negative response on the other side of it. It's in doing that that we just stay surface level. It's it's for 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 what it's worth. In in some of my friendships, it's been our tense moments that have proven that the friendship is worthy of more. And it's not that I go seeking out like issues, but it's been the willingness to deal with some of those challenges and to name the hard thing in the moment, even if the hard thing is something that I failed at and that we have not like said out loud. And so it's kind of just kind of existing with us, the the invisible elephant in the room. Right. Um and and uh, or the the we're pretending that the elephant is invisible, I should say. Because both of us are aware that this thing has happened, but we're not dealing with it. And um it's in the moments that I have risked saying the thing or saying like, hey, I didn't do this well. Even if like you didn't think anything of it, it was important for me because I did. I could tell like that might not have sat well. So let me say uh, the thing. And I think there's something to be said for uh, how, how we are often taught to believe that when a when a no comes or a negative comes, like it's like this terrible outcome. This is a, a horrible thing that is happening, and it's a um, an indictment on who we are and how we've shown up. When in fact, you know, 
of those negatives, like good things come from that. Like I'm, I am glad <laughs> that some people told me no. Cause it saved me a hell of a lot of pain when I, when I look at it in its, in its totality uh, and whether that's like a job opportunity or a potential relationship or whatever, like some of those no's were, were really good. Um, and so risking receiving that, that negative response, um, if we don't risk it, we cut ourselves both off from the negative and the positive that is, that is possible. And so, yeah, man, like we gotta, we gotta be willing to, to take the plunge or to take the leap, um, even in, in, even though it's precarious, even though it can create outcomes that we might not like in the short term. Mm-hmm. I'm, uh, I'm thinking now feels like a good moment to, to pose a question that I think is really at the, the heart of why we, we do these conversations, why we do this podcast in the first place. And that's specifically the, the question of what is it that you, Chris, are unlearning in this moment, this season of your life? Such a big question. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> um, I think the, the best way to, to sum up all the ways in which I am I'm trying to unlearn the season of my life is to say that I'm I'm actively um trying to interrogate and, and resist practices of white supremacy. In other words, um particularly around worth and and value that I think ultimately infringe on my desire or ability to give myself like spaces to rest. So like just to say it differently, you know, I think um, I'm currently in my office right now. And um, before we started, I was thinking about, you know, how long I might stay here and how much work I might get done and, you know, progress I could make on certain projects and how I could just really put a dent in my my work and, you know, better position myself in this in this moment to get some stuff out that I think will increase my value. Um, you know, one, one of the things that I can't help but to think about, especially in this season, and I know you can really relate to this, Kyle, is, you know, like this visiting role and wanting it to be a more permanent role and thinking to myself how I can earn that through publishing, serving on a bunch of committees, um, and really just trying to demonstrate that I'm, I'm I'm worthy. And so as much as I think about that, I try to also just resist it, you know, like um, I'm here for a reason. Folks wanted me to be here for a reason. Uh, I have gifts. I have value. I have something to bring to the table. Um, my humanity is not wrapped up in what I can produce. And so I think I've been trying my best to like take breaks on the weekend, enjoy football, not read while I'm watching football, but enjoy football, just sit and enjoy it been going to my my brother's house in PA on Sundays and and we you know he has the NFL red zone the NFL network red zone joining so we just you know all the games and we get into our fantasy football space and so I've been I've been trying to just give myself the permission to just you know chill out you know like I, I'm a I'll do a little bit of work after this recording and then 
I'm going to watch some more games at a bar. I'm gonna get a beer and relax, you know? And I, and I think that like, I've been having to actively resist this sort of hamster wheel, constantly working, constantly doing, when the truth of the matter is like, you can't outrun and outpace white supremacy. You going I mean, like that's I can't, I can't like if you don't look at me and see value, ain't no amount of work gonna really change your mind. And so um I'm worthy of rest. And you know, my body and my being is worthy of love. Not after I finish something, but just because. And so I've been trying to lean into that. Shout out to Trisha Hersey and the the the, the Nat ministry. I'm a student. And so um, I've been really trying to take seriously the commitment of of resting and allowing myself to rest, regardless of how much I get through my to-do list. Yes, sir. Yeah. I needed to I needed to hear that today. Cause boy. <laughs> Let me tell you what's not been restful, this life <laughs> that I'm living. <laughs> Bro, yo. I literally had a, you know, I don't know, this is it's being recorded. Are we still recording? Yes, we're still recording. <laughs> <laughs> My fault. But no, I was I, I was in a space, in a higher ed space, and heard somebody talking about, you know, like how to make yourself successful. And some of the stuff was really good, but I was thinking about like other parts of it. Like this one person on the panel literally talked about how in, in their pursuit of tenure and promotion, and I think they're they're at full now or getting ready to be at full. Their marriage fell apart. Bruh. And like, and I and it wasn't like I could I could see and feel, and maybe I'm just you know too deep, but I was like, you still grieving, and I can feel it. I can feel yeah. <laughs> like yeah. And so, like, I was talking to a colleague and I was like, yo, like, I love how senior scholars are always like, you know, I got here. And then you get invited to these spaces to speak because you got here. But then in being here, you're looking back and like, well, don't do it like the way I did because, you know, you don't want to. And so I'm like, well, where are the models of individuals who got there and also didn't have to like sever serious relationships or their well-being in order to get there? And I'm just like, yo, like. I don't want it that badly, like I don't care that much to get these things and, you know, have challenging relationships with my kids or have marriages that end like because y'all know how this thing go right like you you struggle through undergrad to get to master's programs and then you're struggling again and then you get to doc pro so now you finish that and you celebrate for like two days and then you get into a doc program and then you finish that and like it's super euphoric and it's a great space and then you get into a you get into the to the to the academy and now you back at like level one. And now you're trying to like demonstrate your value and your worth. And if you want an academic train, you get tenure just to now be like struggling to get full. Like it just never ends. And I feel like that's the that's the trick of white supremacy is it'll have you believing that this target will ultimately get you to that place of peace when all it does is create another target that you start looking for. And I just, I'm done. I'm sorry. That's all I had to say. You ain't got to cut yourself off. Just let me tell you what I'm not gonna do: kill myself for this job. I ain't about to do that for what. And and I say that in the context, like not even tongue in cheek. Like we recently had two university presidents, black women, die. And if you think about, if you if you've watched people in leadership, uh, in higher ed spaces, and like what their schedules are like, 
and what is asked of them on a regular basis, like it is inhumane. It is not a sustainable model. And I don't want to get us too far off, but like you are absolutely right. I'm not about to lose like precious things to sustain a job. Like that's and, that's ain't like yo, like no, no shade, because I love all my people. But you know what's crazy about being like outside of like I feel like when I was in Columbus, I was constantly around other academics. Coming back here, ain't nobody read my stuff. Nobody know it. Like none of that, it, like these things that like we think make us so important. It ain't nobody outside of this small they do not world care. that is talking about you, bro. You're not Cornell yeah. West, like you know what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> and and even then, I'm like, <sighs> bro, like, yeah, yeah, like. Oh uh, man, you 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 right you right though. Like I mean, this reminder to get outside and touch grass, or in my case, sand, because you know beaches. But, oh, right. <laughs> way, like <laughs> it's. Uh, I don't know, man. I, I we can we can talk offline about all that further, but <laughs> well, in the interest of getting offline, and in my case, because we are fully in autumn, touching leaves, uh, yes. we're gonna call it right there. Uh, Dr. Christopher Travers, thank you so much for being our first guest uh, here on the Black Men Unlearning podcast. And to our listeners, thank you uh, for rocking with us, for sticking with us. Uh, I, we, you, If you are a regular listener, you know this, but let me just say, we do these episodes once every two weeks, drop them on Thursdays. Uh, so check us out, check out our library of uh, a lot of episodes, almost 50 episodes at this point um that we have you can follow us on spotify on apple Podcasts. you can listen to us wherever you listen to podcasts share with a friend like and review um yeah and we will catch you on the next one all right y'all be easy peace Thank you for listening to the Black Men Unlearning podcast. You can follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Black Men Unlearning and email us at blackmenunlearning at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our feed wherever you listen to podcasts.